You know, something's wrong. I can't get this to work. I've messed with it and I've messed with it and I've messed with it. And the screen is still black. I've turned the power button on. I've I've held it down the way that I'm supposed to. And it won't come on. I've done all that I know to do. What's going on with it? Max, don't break. (laughs) Maybe you've experienced this in your life. Maybe you've went to your computer, especially if it was a PC, and you tried to turn it on, and it just wouldn't work. Okay, okay. Maybe it was your car because it was a Ford. (laughs) And it just wouldn't work. What is one of the first things that we check when things like this happen? The first thing we check usually is, does it have power? Is it unplugged? Is the battery missing? I can't get it to come on. Where's the power at? Where is the power? How many times have you been trying to mess with something in your life, whether it was a car or whether it was a computer or TV, and you found out that what was going on was there was no power or there was no gas or there was none, or there was nothing that supplied that. Or you've been going down the road and then your car starts sputtering and you're, you're off to the side of the road and you're like, oh man, this thing's broke down and only to embarrassingly find out that all you've done is run out of gas. You know, computer, a computer without power is relatively worthless. You can give me a computer. They can have the the fastest processor. It can have all of the RAM in the world. It can have the biggest hard drive. It can have a video card that would just put amazing graphics up. And all of it is worthless if there is no power. It's just a paperweight if it has no power. Cars are the same way. Give me a car with no gas and I can't do anything with it. It's useless. It's no good for what it is intended for. So I have to ask the question. If we understand this in a natural realm that things without power are useless, then why are we content with a powerless gospel? Why are we content with a powerless gospel? I mean, let's just be real with one another. There are two continents on the face of this planet that the church is shrinking. 
North America and Western Europe. We are not keeping up with population growth. Numbers in the church, raw numbers of how many people are believers, aren't falling. Our percentage of the total population is. We're not doing a good job in America evangelizing those who need to know. Now, there's people out there who would say, Pastor, the reason we're not doing a good job is because we're not making the, the gospel accessible to them. We're not, we're, not do, we're not putting it in a package that they can understand. Now, I agree that there's some truth to that. The gospel should be contextualized. Now, some of you are thinking I'm a heretic because I said that, but it's the truth. You've got to contextualize gospel. You are not a first century Jew. When I preach, I'm explaining the gospel in ways that you can understand as a modern American hearer. That's contextualizing the gospel. I agree that contextualization needs to happen, but you know, church, I'm not convinced that's the reason that we're, that we're shrinking. You may say, well, you know, it's because the music. The music's either too new or it's too old or it's too this or it's too that. Look, I, I believe wholeheartedly that the people who should decide what music we do as a church don't attend here. They're the people that are out there that we're trying to reach. We should do something that connects with them and helps them connect to God. We should put our own personal preferences aside. Let me just say this, and this is an aside, but let me say this. If you can't worship with modern music, you're not worshiping with a hymn. If you can't worship with a hymn, you're not worshiping with modern music. Worship is about a heart condition, not about the song we sing. If you, it's okay to have a preference. Fran prefers uh, kind of more like the 80s and 90s kind of stuff, the Maranatha music. We all know that. But Fran still worships without it, right? Because worship's a heart condition. Worship is a heart condition. But, you know, so it's not about the music. I don't think that's the answer. Well, it's because our, our buildings are, are, are out of date or because of all of these things. And, and while I believe that there is some truth to some of these things and I believe that we need to pay attention to them, I believe that this incredibly complex problem really boils down to one thing. The lack of power present in the American church. I mean, how many times when people go, and I'm not talking about here recently, because I've heard a lot of people talking about here recently, coming away and going, wow, God really met with us this morning. But how many times in the last six years have you come away from a service, a worship service somewhere, and said, wow, God was there. I can't believe how amazing that was. Or you came away from a small group and you're like, wow, this is crazy. God showed up in a very real way. Or you came away from a personal prayer time. Or you came away from your devotional life and you said, wow, God was really there in power. How many times has that happened? Sadly, if we are honest, most of us have to say, not very often. Because we're content with a powerless gospel. In many churches, small groups, Bible studies, the service is as predictable as it can be from week to week. 
Because despite people's best intentions, God is not showing up. Now I know I'm probably stretching you. But I'm going to say that most of the time in the church in America, if Jesus didn't come to church via His Holy Spirit, nobody would notice or care. We've gotten so used to, uh, to a powerless gospel that nothing happens. Is this the way it's supposed to be? I mean, if, if we had... Now look, I want you to understand something. As I ask this question, I want you to get rid of your theology... I want you to let your theology go today. You can pick it up again at the end of service. I want you to get rid of all of this teaching that you've been taught throughout the years that, that oh, well, but this is the way church is supposed to be. I want you to let it all go. I want to say it like this. Francis Chan, pastor in one of the biggest churches in the country at one point, growing exponentially twice he resigned from it the second time he resigned from it person uh, permanently thank you i kept wanting to say personally he personally resigned both times but he permanently re- resigned from it the second time he'd written a book that you may have read called crazy love and he's like you know what the, the book that he wrote was convicting him okay so he goes and he travels around the world and he's in india and I was at a conference in Florida where Francis had just come back from India. And people were really upset with him for resigning. And when I say people were really upset, not his church, like other evangelical leaders were upset that he'd resigned. They said, this is so bad. But he's in India and he's telling the story. He said, here I am in India. And, and they're like, so Francis, tell us about the church in America. And he's like, I don't want to. He's like, I'm embarrassed. He goes, because I'm seeing what's happening with these folks. They're walking half a day to gather together with the other believers underneath of a tree to worship God. And that's where they're coming together to meet. That's the best they got is this big tree to gather under. And people are making the half-day trek to do it and all of these things. He goes, man, something's going on in these churches. There's some kind of power happening. God is showing up in such a real way that people are willing to sacrifice like this. And I'm embarrassed because I don't see that. He says, so I go ahead, though, and I start to explain to them how the church is going, and, and they start laughing, not like making fun of me laughing, but like confused laughing, and one of them holds up his Bible, and he says, you guys got that out of this? You got that out of this. Now, I want to say something before I go on. I think in a lot of ways, OCCA is very good at saying, you know what? It's not our forms that matter. We need to seek God on this. Hello, we meet in a racquetball club. Okay? That's what this is. This wasn't designed for a church to meet and worship in. It's a racquetball club. So I think in a lot of ways, we're letting those things go. But I think our theology is holding us back in some areas. And I want to challenge you today. Are we getting this powerless gospel out of this? I don't think so. 
So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the last half of verse 3 and verse 4. So let's read this together and then we'll go on. I'm going to start after the word salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord. Verse 3b. It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard. Verse 4. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to... To his will. Let's pray. Father, today is a challenge. A challenge for us to wrestle and say, is a powerless gospel really what you had in mind? Or did you have something altogether different in mind? Lord, we ask you to show up in this service in a mighty way to explain to us, to teach us, to guide us, to grow us into all truth. Lord, we welcome your Holy Spirit here today because you tell us in the word that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and that he will reveal your mysteries to us, that he will teach us because he is you. He knows you because he is you, co-equal, part of the Trinity of the Godhead. And so we invite you here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, Amen. These two verses say some pretty important stuff. The first thing that it says is that uh, Jesus first taught about the kingdom and then those who witnessed it, right? And then those who witnessed it. Go back and look at those verses again. And and this kind of seems weird the way I'm going here, but just trust me, and we're going somewhere with this. The second half of verse 3, it was declared first by the Lord. What was? The salvation, right? How should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared first by the Lord. Jesus personally declared the gospel. Now, who is Jesus? Is he merely a man? No. Is he simply the Son of God? No. He is God. Yes, we realize he's the Son of God. But he is God made manifest in the flesh to dwell among us. Hello, that's what the name Emmanuel means. God with us. The Gospel of John in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. We translated his word with a capital W. And then down in verse 14, I think, or 13 of of the Gospel of John's first chapter, it says, And the Logos was made manifest in the flesh to dwell among us. Jesus is God. So God condescends to become a man. He lowers himself for a little while lower than the angels. And it says that as we go on in chapter 2 here. If you did your homework last week, you read this. He became a little lower than the angels. He came down. He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to bring the gospel of the kingdom. He said, if I cast out the demons and do all of these things by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. He comes with this power, with these miracles, with these things that are happening. And he's personally involved. And then we see that he is personally involved with those who witnessed him teach. 
I want to say this one more time. God himself, through the person of Jesus Christ, taught the gospel of the kingdom and his powerful miracles and healings attested to the truth of it. The gospels tell us that. The Gospels tell us that the miracles, the power of Jesus attested to the truth. John says in his Gospel at the end, these are just some of what he did. If we wrote down everything he did, well, I suppose there wouldn't be enough books in the world to hold it all. A powerful God ministering among people. For those who did not get to see Jesus firsthand... Miraculous manifestations also happened that legitimize the gospel. I'm not talking about modern life right now. I'm talking about what this passage of Scripture says. Verse 4. Oh, excuse me, the end of verse 3 again. First by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness... By signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So God is personally involved in, through the work and person of Jesus Christ. And then God is personally involved through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Who according to Romans chapter 8 is the Spirit of Christ. I know. This is, this is challenging. It's stretching. It, it grows us. So if these manifestations of God's power legitimize the gospel, why did we suddenly say that they don't exist anymore? Somewhere along the way, the pattern changed. Somewhere along the way, the pattern changed. Somehow, the church got disconnected from the power source, God's Holy Spirit, and this became the normal Christian experience. All we have to do is go read church history to understand this. The apostles died out, and then after they died out, as they, as they went through life, as they went on, or excuse me, as the church went on, the miraculous manifestations, healings, all of those things started becoming fewer and farther in between. They became the normal Christian experience and, and the gospel became a thing of power back then. But sadly, it's not a thing of power today. We're going to camp out right here for a little bit. Instead of finding out what we had done to quench the Spirit... Church leaders began to teach that miracles were no longer needed because, well, we got the whole Bible, and so we don't need it. Now, I want you to understand something before I go on. I believe that this is the most reliable document ever produced. I believe that when I say reliable, we can reproduce this in the Hebrew and in the Greek almost 100% accurately. The translations that we have now, those are translations, and so we, we might have some translation errors. The, the people who are translating might 
pick a bad word sometimes, but in the Hebrew and the Greek, we can reproduce this thing almost 100% accurately. There is no other document from all of antiquity that is this way. Josh McDowell, many of you may have heard of Josh McDowell. He wrote a book called More Than a Carpenter. Do you know when he set out to write More Than a Carpenter, do you know what he was setting out to do? To prove that the Bible was not reliable. To prove that the, God, that the Bible was not reliable and therefore we could not trust the gospel. And as he searched, as he came up with all of these things and he looked, he started finding out that, man, this is crazy how reliable the Bible is. How close to the original writings we have copies, handwritten copies. They didn't have photocopiers back then, guys. You know, they had to handwrite it all. How close. And, and then he started looking at all these things. People said when the Dead Sea Scrolls were dug up that it proved the Bible wasn't true. Actually, they found, I believe it's a, complete or nearly complete scroll of isaiah that verified and it was older than any other copy of a scroll of isaiah we'd ever had and it verified that we were right on the money so i believe that this thing is reliable and trustworthy but i don't know anybody who has ever come to saving faith because they had an intellectual understanding that this thing is reliable i'm just saying People come to faith because God shows up in power. He did it in your life. You sat there and for whatever the reason, you're hearing the gospel and you started weeping or maybe you wanted to start weeping and you said, oh, what is wrong with me? I'm undone. Right? And you said, man, what must I do to be saved? This is supernatural. This is supernatural. This is, I'm going to use a scary word, charismatic. (laughs) Romans chapter 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the charisma of God is eternal life. Charisma is the Greek word for charismatic. Everybody that is born again has had a charismatic manifestation happen in their life. You were supernaturally born into the kingdom of God. Power was a normal part of this thing for you. It was a normal part of this thing for you. But somehow or another, you let somebody teach you, or, let, or I let somebody teach me, or whatever, that, hey, those things died out. A couple weeks ago, a major church leader in the United States hosted a conference that taught that we should expect a powerless gospel. That these things died out with the apostles. And that expecting God to show up was dangerous, possibly even heretical. I want to tell you something. This brother is going to be in heaven with us. But he's not right about that. You don't have to have all your theology right to get to heaven. You don't. You just have to repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus. You don't have to have the rest of it right. I know that that's kind of scary. What do you mean, Pastor? (sighs) Hey, if we have to have all of our doctrine right, it's by works. And we know the scripture says it's not by works so that no man may boast. But by grace you've been saved and that through faith. Right? 
The implication of this teaching is this. Now let's go back to the verses again. It was attested to us first by the Lord. God is personally involved in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's number one, right? Number two. Then the apostles, those who heard, that's those who heard, had firsthand knowledge. They attested to it and God's Holy Spirit was verifying that the message is true. And then the apostles died out and God's no longer involved. Let's do it again. God's involved through Jesus. God's involved through the Spirit. And then he quit. One more time. (laughs) Jesus proclaims the gospel. Jesus speaks through the apostles and proclaims the gospel and verifies it's true. And Jesus stopped talking. That doesn't make sense. That does not make sense. If that's what happened, I'm done with you, Jesus. Seriously. If Jesus cared more about them but doesn't care enough about me to get personally involved, I'm done. But this is the theology that we have. This is the theology that we have. If you believe that we were founded as a Christian nation, raise your hand. It's not true. The majority of our forefathers were not Christians. They were deists. Do you know what a deist is? A deist is a person who believes in God, oftentimes the God of the Bible. But believes that God, and believes that God needs to be worshipped and that we need to have virtue. But believes that God is no longer intervening in history. He set the world in motion and he's hands off. Ben Franklin, you can go look at his Bible in the Smithsonian. I am not kidding. Tore out all of the references to the miraculous in Scripture from his Bible. I'm not beating these guys up. I'm not trying to say that they weren't doing the best they could with the limited understanding they had. But see, they were falling prey to this God doesn't do stuff anymore. Theology. But friends, if I don't have the systematic theology books, if I don't have any of these other things, if I don't have thousands of years of teaching, if all I have is this Bible, this Bible... Would I come to the conclusion that God's not involved? No. Not only no, but I would come to the conclusion that if He's not showing up, something is wrong. Something is bad wrong. It is the teaching of man over over thousands of years that have degraded this. And, And that's for several different reasons. But I need you to understand something. The gospel is supernatural and powerful. I'm going to say it again because like three people got it. The gospel is supernatural and powerful. You don't understand. John, I'm warning you. I'm getting ready to say it. I had nine affairs on my wife before I came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Physical affairs. I was a wife beater. She was a husband beater. 
We were physically violent with one another. Bruising and making each other bleed. I need to slow down. Oh, okay. I, I had nine affairs on my wife before I was a believer. I was abusive to her physically, emotionally. She was abusive to me physically and emotionally. She would tell you I was an alcoholic. I don't agree with it, but I was. I just liked to drink. It wasn't controlling me. I just chose to do it because that's what I liked. Now, maybe that's your version of alcoholism, and so I guess maybe I was. But people didn't want to be around me. People didn't want to be around me. I was the guy that if you, if, if you got around me, I was cool for like 30 minutes, and then you're like, man, that guy is a beep. Okay? You get the point. I got radically born again on an operating room table. Doctors paralyzed my diaphragm with anesthesia on accident. I cried out to God. I told God, I'm too young to die. I don't want to die. By the way, I was in church. I don't think because you come to church, you're saved. According to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, approximately 90% or better of the people gracing the pews in the churches across America on Sunday morning do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, according to the studies they've done. Church doesn't save you. I was going to church. I said, God, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I'm too young to die. My wife needs me. And I wasn't trying to bargain with God, though it will sound a little bit like I was. I was sincerely telling God what I, this next part. If you will let me live, I will do whatever you want for the rest of my life. I will serve you in any capacity you want for the rest of my life. I'm yours. I wasn't saying... Do this, and, and I'm you know, going to go back and bargain with him. That's not what I'm saying. You know, try to talk, talk him out of it. I was serious. I was like, that's it. I'm, unless you save me, I'm dead. I said, amen. I don't remember anything until I woke up afterwards. All I could do was cry. Had my shoulder in a shoulder immobilizer. If you don't know how that feels, go ask Sharon. Got home from the hospital. All I could do was weep all the time. I'm supposed to be on convalescent leave. 30 days of convalescent leave from the Army. I'm supposed to be recovering. I am out on our riding lawnmower mowing everybody's grass, doing all this stuff that I could do because God radically transformed my life. Our neighbor who lived a few doors down came up to my wife, or actually came up to a neighbor of ours who was going to the church that we were at and says, what church do you guys go to? And she says, well, we go to the Clarksville Alliance Church. And she said, well, we're going to come. We're believers. We've been going to church, but you know what? This didn't happen in our church. Something happened to that man. We've never seen somebody radically transformed. Something happened. The gospel supernatural and powerful. It radically changed me. I should be making over $100,000 a year right now doing satellite communications by the world standard. That's what I'm trained to do, and I was really, really good at it. God said, I want you to give that up and I want you to follow me. I want you to, to plant a church. And, and we did that. And, and I took a, a job other than pastoring the church so that we could get it started with 11 people counting the babies. And I don't mean the baby Christians. I mean the babies <laughs> in the nursery. We were big, huge church. 
God is supernatural. He's powerful. Church, we need to understand something. This is my experience. I don't know what your experience is. But if God has gotten out of the business of supernaturally intervening in the world for the sake of the gospel, then major sections of the New Testament don't apply to us. This passage being one of them. That means we have to pick and choose which parts to believe. But when I read the scriptures, it says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for training. Even the supernatural parts are training. I didn't mean to make the noise. You know, really? Correcting? Rebuking? Wow. Like, which ones don't apply to us if, if God's out of the supernatural? I want you to understand something. The word for gift that we see translated gift a lot, of, not every time, but a lot of times, is the word harisma. It's what the word is, harisma, in the Greek. So there are a lot of passages that don't apply to us. Okay? I'm going to give you some of them. This one doesn't apply if God's out of the business of the supernatural. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. In service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. If the supernatural God is done being supernatural then nobody's empowered to lead. There's nobody supernaturally empowered to teach. All you're doing right now is listening to Jerry Breedlove's best effort and God's not in it. Listen, if God's not in it, it is not worth coming here and sitting through this. Seriously, it's not. If God's not in this, it is not worth sitting through it every Sunday. It's pretty painful. Here's another one. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Hey, we don't have to serve anybody. No gifts. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks is the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by strength that God supplies in order that everything may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This doesn't apply to us. This does not apply to us if there's no supernatural God. Now this is where I will get soundbited on YouTube and, and all that will come up is that this passage doesn't apply to us. Not that it doesn't apply to us if God's not involved anymore. Church, I believe God's involved. I believe these all apply to us. Gets better. Now there are varieties of gift, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who, powers them, who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, but God, if, if He's not involved, if the Spirit of God isn't active, if the gospel is powerless, this doesn't apply to us. 
For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. So all of that wise counsel coming from that godly person, hey, Jesus isn't in that. That's just their best advice. Choose what you want to do with it. Doesn't matter. You don't have to follow it. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, by faith, the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing. And this is why we get scared. To another, the gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of... Oh, tongues. (laughs) To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Whoa! Verse 4. And by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. That's the Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4. This is the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 11. And all these are empowered one and the same Spirit by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. These don't apply to us though. If God's not supernatural. If He's still not involved. If God has just merely set the world in motion and got out of it because the apostles died, then we have to eliminate these passages of Scripture. And so while we're eliminating these passages of Scripture, why don't I just eliminate the one that says I can't commit adultery? Why not? I'm getting to choose which ones apply. Right? You know? Oh, that one about uh, not being, about being angry with cause, without cause? You know, murder in my heart doesn't apply anymore. So I can go cuss Keith out. Because it doesn't matter. Because I don't have to live that way. This whole be holy because I'm holy. Why? Now, church, I told you something. The major theme of the first three chapters, or excuse me, of, the, of these next four chapters, chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, is that we have to live a certain way as believers. And if you read part of chapter 2, if you got to the end of chapter 2, it says the reason that we can do this is because Jesus is empowering us by His Spirit. Verse 18 of chapter 2 says, For because He Himself has suffered who, who, when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. But if He's not supernaturally involved, He's not helping us. I'm just simply saying this. To disregard the supernatural of power of the Gospel is to say that major sections of the Scriptures do not apply to us. But you know what? Perhaps the passage of greatest concern for me is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It doesn't apply if Jesus isn't actively involved. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. In this verse, in this verse, Jesus tells us that, that supernatural empowerment, only by supernatural empowerment of His Spirit, will we be able to go out and win people into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says. He told him. He said, wait, don't leave. Don't leave. That's what he told him in Acts chapter 1. Don't leave Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. You're going to receive power when He comes. And because of that, my church will grow. The church in America is not growing. 
I think it's because we don't have his power. I shouldn't be a preacher. You should despise me. I am that guy in the community that you want to punch in the face when you walk by him because he's that big of a bum. That's me. It really is. It's who I was before Jesus. You think I'm a jerk now? You should have known me then. God has radically changed my life. The church isn't growing. I believe the problem is because we don't have the power of God. Because we've said, well, that was for 2,000 years ago. But we don't need it now. We've got the Scriptures. You know, I really love our elders. We, we met together and we were studying the Word together. It's pretty cool to get together with your elders for no other purpose than to study the Word. It's pretty neat. Not a lot of elder boards do that. We got together and we studied. And as we were reading the scriptures together, and our wives were with us, we all came to the conclusion that God's Holy Spirit is indispensable to us understanding anything about God. Because that's what the Bible said. He's indispensable. You can do without the fat preacher. You can do without the dashing good looks of Elder Fran. You can do without the light that is provided by John's forehead. And I can't think of anything funny to say about Ron or Keith right now, so you guys are off the hook this week. You can do without all of this. But you can't do it without the Spirit of God. Guys, when the Spirit of God comes, it's messy. Church services sometimes go long. Crazy stuff that we're, quite frankly, not comfortable with happen. Let me tell you something. About 80% of what happens when the Spirit of God starts moving in a church concerns me. I think it should. I don't think I should be comfortable with everything. Last week, a brother came up, said, Hey, Pastor, I think da 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 da. He went back, sat down. Then Fran came up and said, Hey, Pastor, da 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 da. I was uncomfortable when the brother came up and told me what he thought the Lord was saying. And I said, Lord, if this is really you, you better talk, you better show me. I don't know. I mean, I believed what the brother said, but I just wasn't sure the timing was right. And then Fran came up and said, Pastor, and I was like, whoa, okay, God, I got you. I was a little nervous. It's okay. You know why we're afraid of this? Do you know why the church in America is so afraid of this? You know why we're so nervous? You know why it scares us so badly? Couldn't find my iPad. You know why it scares us so badly? Because if we let God be God then we're not in control anymore. And we don't like to be out of control. We don't like to be out of control. Every pastor I know, and I'm a pastor, so I'm saying this of myself, 
is a control freak at heart. Every pastor I know is a control freak at heart. We don't like to be out of control. Every elder I know is a control freak at heart. Every deacon I know is a control freak at heart. Every new believer is a control freak at heart. Every Sunday school teacher is a control freak at heart. We, ha- we want to control everything. Just be honest with yourself. You don't like feeling out of control. If you like the feeling of being out of control, raise your hand. We're all control freaks. And when we say, God, you can do this, it gets messy. I might even have to call somebody down. Somebody may do something out of order and I may have to say, hey, brother, we love you. It's out of order right now. And we're a long ways off from experiencing things like that. We're, we're growing as a church. We're, 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 we're looking and we're saying, God, come in and take control. Our elders are studying together the Word of God. And we're working through these things. What does this look like? How does this happen? And we're, we're a ways off from that. But what we're trying to do is make room for Jesus to show up and be Jesus. You understand? That's what we're trying to do. We want Jesus to be Jesus. We want him to be God over this church. We want him to be the linchpin, not us. So while this has some implications for how our church looks in five or six or seven years, there's some implications for how it looks right now. The implication for chapters two through five is that we cannot even expect to have success walking as holy Christians unless we rely on the empowerment of God's Spirit. Just because you got saved does not mean you can live holy. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says that. And just because you got saved, whatever you think of doing isn't, isn't automatically good. Okay? The heart is deceitfully wicked and beyond all cure. Who can know or understand it? You're going to come up with some stuff that's not a Jesus to do. I shouldn't have to teach that, but a major evangelical church in our region taught that if you can dream it up, go for it. It's from God. No, it's not. Because I can dream up some pretty heinous stuff that is not of the Lord. And I can't be the only one. Right? You can't live holy. This is the implication. You want to beat sin in your life? You want to have victory? You want your relationships to be honoring of God? You have to say, God, we need your power. Come in your power. When each of one of us got saved, we felt the Spirit of God intervening. The preacher or the person on the street was talking or whoever it was, maybe at a kitchen table they were talking, the Spirit of God was speaking on the inside of you. Maybe you cried, maybe, you, maybe, maybe you, something happened, but there, there was something going on inside of you. But then all of a sudden, in your walk with Jesus, you started becoming numb to the Holy Spirit. The problem isn't that God pulled out. The problem is we told Him, okay, I got this. I got this. Thanks for your help, I got this. We've got homework for this week. The homework for this week is passages of Scripture 
You have to decide whether or not they apply to Christians. You have to make a decision in your heart. Do these apply? Monday, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Tuesday, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Wednesday, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Thursday, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. Friday, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Saturday, Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 20. I saved the craziest one for the end. Do these passages of Scripture apply to us or not? That is the question as you're reading the homework this week. Do these apply to us? If they apply, then we have to say God is supernaturally in, involved in our lives still. And He wants to, he wants to pour His Spirit out on us. And if they don't apply... It's cool. Let's have a powerless gospel. Remember, when the iPad doesn't work, or the car doesn't run, or the computer doesn't turn on, the first thing we look at is, is there power? Is there gas? I shared this with a sister this morning in class. I, once I got my master's degree, I took on a whole new appreciation for social science research. It's funny. She asked me, she said, did you write your thesis on that? I said, actually, I did. And she goes, wow, nobody's ever answered yes. She, but we were talking, and, and I said, you know what the number one, you know what the number one thing that grows churches, the number one thing. Now, I'm going to put Marsha on the spot. Marsha, have we talked about this before today? What's... It, what do you think the number one thing that grows a church is? Prayer. Say it what? Prayer. Say it what? Prayer. Prayer. That is the number one thing that grows churches. Multiple research studies done to, to find this. And then I did my thesis on it. A, a research project. Not like research like looking it up in books. Like going out and conducting research. The Alliance churches in western Pennsylvania that are growing... All dedicated to prayer and saying, God, tell us what to do. Be supernaturally involved. Speak to us. Teach us. Show us which way to go. You want to see this church grow? You want to see us grow spiritually? I'm going to challenge you to do something. If it's going to, I didn't run this by the elders and I haven't run it by Mark. Let's show up on Sunday morning and start having a prayer meeting before training ground. Right here. I know it's going to mess the band up. You say, well, we don't have to mess the band up. We can go in another room. No, we don't want to hide. We want to be out in the open. We want people to walk in and come and grab a hold of it. We're not going to take prayer requests if we do this. I'm not taking prayer requests. You're just going to pray out loud in your head, whatever, at the same time. Marsha can pray to God and so can I at the same time and he can hear it all. He's good like that. Want to see our church grow? Let's get on our knees. Let's start praying. Let's start saying, God, we have not been dependent on you like we should be. But we're ready to be now.
Fran didn't know I was going to say this this morning. What did he get up and say happened about the last 13 months because you were obedient, because you prayed? Let's do it. Let's do it. So we'll see what happens next week. We walk out and be like, yeah, let's pray. And then next week, 15 excuses come up on why we can't do it. I will be in this room. Mark, you're going to have to work around me. So maybe you have to come in early or whatever. Okay? I will be in this room at 845 next Sunday. From 845 to 915 praying. means the worship team might have to practice earlier. Okay? And if nobody comes for the next couple of weeks, Mark, then you guys can have the sanctuary back full force. But I'm praying that this, look at what's here. I'm praying we need this room. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. So let's do it. I'm putting it on Sunday. I'm saying let's do it on Sunday morning because we're all free. What do you got better to do? Eat? All right, fine. I'm bringing Clark's Donuts. I'm serious. I am getting four dozen Clark's Donuts. And... And, and, you, and you can come in, and, you, and when you get your donut out of the hallway and your cup of coffee, bring it in the worship center. It's fine. It's a racquetball court. <laughs> There's nothing special about this room. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he likes donuts. <laughs> All right, enough of my being silly. Let's pray. Father... We come before you this morning. Lord, I pray that this is more than us just being silly. Lord, I pray that next week the band is challenged to get ready for the service because there is a lot of people who flood in here and say we're going to pray. Lord, I, I pray that... Lord, I don't care if people come for the donuts that I'm going to buy. I don't care if that's why they come. Who cares? Lord, we're going to give them Jesus as well. Lord, birth in us a desire for the supernatural. Lord, not a, not a desire for particular manifestations. Lord, we'll leave it up to you how you show up. But Lord, that just that you would show up. Lord, like A.B. Simpson, we say that we desire the giver above all else. Let us pursue the giver. Lord, work in our hearts miraculously, powerfully. Change us from the inside out. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.